Welcome to episode 114 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This week, my featured guest is Rebecca Eggers, Global Client Engagement and Innovation Director for the Energy Sector at IBM. And we talked on her first day at the new job. She has a 20-year track record of partnership and strong solution leadership, and she's known for creating sustainable go-to market and portfolio leadership for solutions that leverage data and analytics, improve operational efficiencies, and deliver customer satisfaction. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and to create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. Rebecca is sought out as a strategic advisor, keynote speaker, and for engaging dialogue at industry events across the globe on topics including electrifying energy, sustainably fueling the future, and digital transformation. She's also a trusted friend. Welcome to The Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat, and I'm here with Rebecca Eggers, Global Director of Client Engagement and Innovation for the Energy Sector at IBM. Rebecca, welcome to The Climate Champions. Thank you, Lee. First, let me say congratulations on your new gig. This is your first day. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here with you on my first day in my new role. You're spending your first day on The Climate Champions. Excellent choice. Thank you. <laughs> with regards to climate change, what was your motivating moment? What got you engaged with climate change mitigation? So I'm not sure that there was just one moment. For me, it's been more of a lifelong pursuit. And it's built off the basis that these motivators, the most wonderful motivators, are always personal experiences. I've always been amazed and respectful of nature at the same time. I was born in Buffalo, where the beauty of Niagara Falls and the tragedy of the Love Canal sort of come with the package. I grew up on Lake Erie and became acutely aware of water quality issues. And I've always been an advocate for awareness around the human impact on the environment. And these days, I live in the San Fernando Valley, just north of LA, where the Woolsey Fire of 2018 came 100 feet from my house. And there were so many moments during that evacuation experience that renewed my commitment to climate change. And I kept thinking that the technology exists and not just to respond more quickly, but to mitigate these issues. So why aren't we using it? And I remember that we had our family holiday pictures scheduled for just one week after the fire and it was outdoors, but we did it anyway. We bought formal attire and marched out into the still smoking burnt canyon behind our house and ended up being a really powerful message. There's an Irish proverb around, if there's a way into the woods, there's also a way out. So in terms of climate change, I'm determined to find that way out. And so ever since then, I've looked for every opportunity to engage with startups, incubators, and I find great inspiration in the greatest showman-like type minds. I've been active in the Erie Hack, Imagine H2O, Call for Code within IBM, and other challenge-based programs like the AEG City Challenges. 
And I find that the most competitive ideas are all experience-based, they're outcome-oriented, and they're driven by empathy and context to solve for real personal experiences. And I find this to be a huge motivator. I'm always looking to enable and help build awareness for, for those partners in those spaces. You mentioned Niagara Falls and the Love Canal. Do you have other personal drivers for what gets you motivated to fight the good fight? As the mother of four, the topic is critically important to me. And it's really simple. I want a better world for my kids. I can remember also a business trip a few years back when it was pouring rain, which as you know, is a rare occasion for the Los Angeles area. But every container, receptacle, cup, can, trash can was out on our front lawn. And I went inside and I asked my nine-year-old daughter who was running back and forth and I asked her, what's going on? And she was perplexed by my question. She said, didn't I know that we're in a drought and we need to catch the water in order to keep the world safe? When I asked her what she was planning to do with that water, she told me she would be drinking it, of course. <laughs> and I was inspired to begin an education campaign around water reuse technologies. I assured her that we would find a way to use the water while gently redirecting her intent. <laughs> That's great. When you meet people that don't believe that the facts around climate change are true, how do you convince them? That's a great question. I'm fortunate to travel, I think, in circles with kindred spirits. I think our client said it best when he basically shared that our profession is a hundred year in the making overnight sensation when it comes to sustainability. But I do encounter from time to time the opportunity to use vivid language when it comes to climate change. However, I've always found that the best way to bring others along is to stop and listen, and really try to understand where they're coming from. In the process, you usually get to know the person, what's important to them, and connect on a personal level. And examples I've used are like walking the community and pointing out impacts like water level rising and how that shuts down local restaurants and threatens their viability, or tying it to things that they love, like surfing warnings for water quality alerts, home and property losses due to floods, even lives lost to extreme weather and chronic allergies of loved ones. I'm a connector at heart, so I always try to find something relatable to hang my hat on that will inspire further thought beyond that initial interaction. So tell us more about how you and IBM are impacting climate change. It's a turning point for climate change efforts on this planet. 50% of the world have net zero targets, and that's across businesses as well as cities. IBM's first environmental policy dates back to the 1970s. And today we're a hybrid cloud and AI company. We're committed to environmental leadership in all we do. And that's across operations, product design, and even the use of our technologies. In my role, I have global responsibility for the science, technology, innovation, and culture that's working to create a more sustainable environment for our sector. And I work with clients and business partners to implement technologies that modernize, secure, automate, and predict. But the cultural aspect of work at the intersection of the human and technology partnership is really the difference maker, because this is what enables us to integrate what we're actually trying to do with those technologies into what we do every day. IBM doesn't have to do this. So why does IBM focus on the environment, the climate, we believe that good tech is good business, and this has been part of our DNA and our fabric since Thomas Watson. So 
it's really, I think, ingrained in all of us. It's been our goal always to become essential to our clients, to the world, and to make a difference. And I think if you meet an IBMer on the street, you can immediately find out what drives them. And, and a lot of it is personal inspiration to make a difference in the world. That's awesome. Did you know I once worked for IBM for one summer back in 1983? And now you run the Climate Champions podcast. <laughs> yeah, it was all built on that. <laughs> of course. Has the pandemic impacted IBM and what you do? One of the things that came with the pandemic was that we absolutely, right off the bat, saw increased urgency to leverage technologies because we couldn't be out there. Our work and asset management business needed that augmentation of the key strengths of human talents with, with technology in order to survive. And a great example of that is the workers in the field could you know, no longer roll a truck with their partner. So they couldn't be in the same place at the same time. How do you enable with technology the ability to communicate from two different trucks that are now being rolled? And how do you do that efficiently? now that you're having the expense. So this has probably been not just the pandemic, but probably a convergence of issues that have, have driven up the urgency of, of responsiveness. And I think there was a McKinsey study that showed that we made five years worth of progress in the first couple of months of the pandemic. And then in just the last year, we made 10 years of progress in digitalization. And I'm hoping that that urgency and that focus will continue to address the additional challenges that we have at hand that are time sensitive as well. I know today's your first day in a new job. Can you talk about your prior background? So I've been in the energy environment and utilities industry my entire career for 20 plus years now. And although I have current responsibility for IBM's industry-focused technology, my journey has included strategic account leadership, solution development, and management consulting. And I also hold a handful of industry-focused external advisory roles, from nonprofits to private boards. My domain expertise, however, has been based on finance and a business education with deep practical experience in data and analytics across the utility domain. I'm inspired by my clients, many of whom are committed to leaving the world a better place. And I believe strongly that this combination of science, technology, innovation, and culture will drive superior outcomes for future generations. But I would be remiss if I don't mention that I'm a mother, daughter, sister, friend, neighbor, mentor, teacher, and student. And there are so many titles that I identify with, but ultimately my people are my world. Can you talk about setbacks that you've had in your career? Sure. I don't really see it that way, though. I've been fortunate, but I hugely believe that everything happens for a reason. And I always try to approach change, the unexpected change, with the idea of what if it's even better than I had expected? If I had to identify a challenge, I guess it would be being a woman in a good old boys club. I was actually asked in an interview how I would be successful when all of my clients were men. Another time I was told not to worry my pretty little head about a challenge I foresaw and a solution I had brought to bear anyway. It is my hope, though, to be a part of creating a better future for my two girls and future generations to come. And with that, recent events definitely give me pause. But I also understand that progress isn't always linear. 
And my grandmother used to say two steps forward, one step back. And I know that we can and will do better. I'm always looking for ways to create a more inclusive, psychologically safe environment for my team, because that's when we do our best work. Okay, I forced you to talk about a setback or a challenge. Can you talk about the successes that you're most proud of? From my perspective, my greatest successes are when I'm supporting others, either my team, my client, family, and friends in achieving their goals. And so, yes, I get to work on challenges that matter. And I always kind of liken it to the Shark Tank investor, Lori Griner's quote, if you're lucky enough to be successful, you have the responsibility to give back. And I believe that technology is an enabler. And as such, we have a responsibility to collaborate enable others, share what we know and our resources and make it accessible. So some of the most memorable work that I've done is related to collaboration across utilities and the vendor and partner ecosystems. And it's always been around the exchange of data systems and platforms. It bridges discrete geographies and extends beyond organizational walls. It leverages public-private partnerships in a way that connects communities and drives resilient outcomes. And it crosses ecosystems in creative ways that result in shared outcomes that can be celebrated by many. I recently collaborated with Jos Rolling from IBM Netherlands and the team at The Digital Economist. And we published a forward-looking point of view around the power of the many, which I'm hoping will manifest into a significant accomplishment for a future that we're building as we fly. Have you had any recent successes specifically in the area of climate change mitigation, or I know you're very focused on water as well. One example that I would provide is probably the Digital Water City Project. So I work with the European Commission on their Horizon 2020 work, and we're in the fourth year of deploying 19 digital solutions across five cities in Europe. And Milan is working on a water reuse project. It was originally intended to share data between the water utility and the agriculture communities to have the headlights into the water quality and quantity needs for a region. But what was really interesting, two years into the four-year project, they realized that another industry could benefit. They realized that by instrumenting and tracking irrigation practices, the insurance industry could more confidently de-risk the contracts with the agriculture community. And then that actually lowered the cost of insurance for the agriculture community and was such a win-win and a surprise that we started looking for this across all of the projects that were in play. And, And it's really encouraging for the future to see how sharing data across industries begins to open up new opportunities, new business models, and new ways of working. It seems that it enables doing the right thing around sustainability to have a better business case if you can get the insurance companies to acknowledge it and understand it. Absolutely. And it de-risks the whole experience for them as well. When you look ahead 10, 20, 30 years, how do you see the future, especially with regards to climate change? Do you think the planet's going to be awesome, functioning perfectly, or do you think we're going to still have major problems? Okay, well, I was expecting this one, and it's easy because I've seen the reruns of the Jetsons. <laughs> we'll live in space, right? We'll have jetpacks, flying cars, robot maids. No? <laughs> <laughs> well, we already have the technology to do video conferencing. And I remember what was really funny is that there was an episode where 
the people would put on a mask when they weren't made up in the morning and they got called too early. And they found out the other person was also wearing a mask. <laughs> Both masks fell off or something. And I'm thinking we have that too. You like we have a feature that you can make yourself look better on Zoom. Absolutely. Never underestimate the power of a good pair of fancy glasses and some lipstick. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> But absent a crystal ball or clairvoyant abilities, I think we can turn to trend and pattern analysis for some tea leaf-like readings that will point to some predictions that are likely to happen. So let's assume that despite best efforts, the climate crisis to some degree continues to be a concern and requires great focus. It's probably a safe bet based on the disappointment expressed by the participating youth at COP26. The younger generation is going to demand, and many of us will be compelled to comply with a focus on sustainability. So there's probably three things that I could see happening. The first is that we'll continue to see worsening drought, wildfires, extreme weather stress, that will continue to put pressure on our aging infrastructure, and despite an increase in funding, we'll struggle to keep up. The second is that utility resiliency due to the rapid integration of DER and supply chain disruption will put the society at risk because we'll be unable to support the nutrition and economic needs of an exponentially growing population. And finally, absent the end-to-end value chain oversight, solutions will optimize for silos, but they're not going to be looking at the entire ecosystem, and that will leave huge security and experience gaps. To sum it all up, if we take the past few years as any indication, we'll see more in continued pandemics, political unrest, war, crime, careless pollution that exacerbates this gloom, doom, and uncertainty. Okay, you have been so positive until now, and suddenly I ask about the future, and you just painted a very dim vision of the future. What kind of hope do you think we have? So I am rooting for some promising trends and the potential to deliver on the promise of a brighter future for generations to come. So I've got six ideas on the positive side to balance it out. (laughs) You are prepared for everything I come up with. (laughs) We already talked about the unprecedented acceleration of technology adoption, AI, automation, the emergence of this virtual or open enterprise that embraces new tools and ways of working. The second thing would be this acceleration of efficiencies that are gained by technologies that support supply chain advances, not only in the speed and experience of personal travel, for example, but also that of critical supplies and goods. Thirdly, we'll see a rise in empathy jobs, in importance, pay, and interest. And this will elevate the roles of teachers, healthcare workers, and sustainability, purpose-driven roles. Next, we've seen an impressive commitment to carbon neutrality, and some even within the next 10 years. The fuel shift through electrification of industry is already underway, with engaged participants capable of making significant impacts. I think it's like 70% of global emissions can be addressed at the utility level, and this work is already in progress. Next, we're seeing a blurring of the industries, where, for example, in the electrification of transportation, We see automotive partnering with the public sector and the electric utilities, and these results are being amplified by the rise of diversity and equality. So this collaboration across diverse industries and talent will give us solutions we never imagined and change how work is being done. And finally, the open source community 
has the potential to fuel a culture change that's driven by open access and free exchange of information. And this will be embraced as we unearth all we can discover together. So three negatives to six positives. <laughs> I don't know if they cancel out. <laughs> I think the odds are good at least, and I'm committed to working towards the positive future. Do you have advice for people as to what they can do personally to help mitigate climate change? Absolutely. So I would say be a sponge. And by that, I don't mean a dirty, wet rag. <laughs> Rather, listen to the wisdom of ages and make it yours. Study new approaches and techniques and be brave and try them. Consider advances in other industries and how innovation might be applied to reorient the way work gets done in our space. But most importantly, move with speed and urgency and be progressive. Do so with empathy and inclusion. Do you have any questions for me? Yes. I have two questions for you, Lee. I'm not as prepared as you. <laughs> yes, you are. I noticed that you participated in the DOE DOT workshops dealing with topics related to the electrification of transportation. How do you see the role of the utility in this important transformation? I would like to say I think it's absolutely critical because if we're going to do it quickly, the utilities are in a great place to be able to electrify charging. There are so many companies that want to electrify their fleets that they must have that kind of energy and they must have it available where they need it, when they need it. And it seems like the utility with their expertise and their capital can make that happen. But on these calls that you do mention, I was the facilitator and we had a few hundred people on these calls. The utilities kept saying it would take two or three years to build that infrastructure once they got a request. And I think that when a company wants to electrify their fleet, they may not have three years for that transformation. They said they're just waiting for the vehicles to be available. And I think that can happen quickly. So I think the utilities could be in trouble because although they scoffed at it when I mentioned it, I do think there's a potential for creating a hydrogen economy where hydrogen is used to produce that energy, maybe locally shipping the hydrogen from a central location to a local location versus building the infrastructure that would help the utilities and enable them to be a big part of the solution. So personally, I want the best solution to win. And I think that could definitely be utilities, but I think they need to figure out how to do it in a way that excites their customers. So it goes back to the sense of urgency and the need to recognize the opportunities here and it's now and the old ways of doing things and the time it used to take, it's not sufficient anymore. So we need new ways of working with design thinking and minimal viable products and embracing agile ways of doing things. The world is demanding it. Yeah, I agree. Second question. So for my second question, you know, I'm a fan of your wife's mystery stories. Would you can... <laughs> 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 Would you consider giving me a preview of what she's working on next? Oh my God, she might be very mad at me. <laughs> I'm going to take it out of the podcast if she's <laughs> mad, okay? Fair. She is working on a young adult mystery, and it stars a young woman who has a job, and in that job, she comes across mysteries that she has to help with and very other important things. My wife always chooses a very important topic beyond just the mystery to discuss in the book. I can't wait. I like to pre-order them for my girls. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> That's great. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to say that you haven't gotten a chance to? Yeah, there's there's one more thing on my mind. And so this is really as highlighted last month by the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz on his closing remarks at Davos. And that's that citizens of all parts of the world are expecting the same levels of prosperity that leading nations have demonstrated as possible. And with the time of the few providing for the many ending, we're seeing 80 to 90% of new operations globally being stood up in water scarce areas. And this is setting the stage for a huge potential impact to supply chains and decarbonization progress. So for all the focus on sustainability and decarbonization, there will be no economic progress without water. And the World Bank is estimating that 6% of the GDP of some countries will be lost to water scarcity by 2050. So we need to recognize that there is no green without blue and address progress in water. So to equitably achieve the self-sufficiency necessary for leading nations and emerging nations, we have a responsibility to develop these technologies that enable sustainability and make them accessible. I'd like to share in closing the remarks that Arvind Krishna, our CEO, shared at the Think flagship event. He talked about his view that technology is an accelerator and suggested that the path forward is to cast aside our individual goals and engage in outcome-focused collaboration. How we do this in a way that's predictable, contextual, and progressive will be a challenge, as will how we integrate what we're actually trying to achieve with these technologies into what we do each day. So the world needs this collaboration more than ever right now. And I want to encourage everyone to jump in with urgency and create. I love it. On that note, I'm going to wrap this up with a wrap. While it is true that you now live in Cal, you grew up in Buffalo with Niagara Falls and the Love Canal, you have a great desire, you want to do more. An example of that is you're a mother of four. Your daughter said when you came home, she said, don't you know you oughta do everything you can to catch all the water. When you meet people that you want to convince climate change of, you do it by talking about things that they love. One of the ways that during the pandemic people got stuck is they couldn't even roll two people in a truck. So since the pandemic, since it begun, what used to take 10 years, you did in one. We've got to work now. There's a risk to every nation. We have an exponentially growing population. Because we care what the future is about, we have to be concerned about more wildfires and more drought. We need the help of every nation. One solution is more electrification. People have to be brave. They need speed and urgency. They have to lunge, but most of all, they need to be a sponge. We need a better world, not just for the few. Remember, there is no green without blue. <laughs> so good. You packed so much in, I couldn't get it all, but I said, what the heck? It's been amazing talking to you, Rebecca. Uh, yes, Lee, thank you. Wow. In addition to talking to me on her first day, Rebecca posted on LinkedIn about her new role, 
saying, it's an inspiring time to be working in this space as 50% of the world have net zero targets, including businesses as well as cities. However, it's going to take collaboration among and across sectors at the ecosystem level to integrate what we are actually trying to achieve into what we do each day. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. And here's the part I love even more about Rebecca's post. If you have ideas for how we might work together to bridge past and present challenges in support of a more sustainable and equitable future, please reach out. I can't wait to get started. Let's create. I just have to say, wow. And I can't wait for her to get started either. By working together, we can mitigate climate change. Mm -hmm.